concerning the cave of the nymphs, what are we to understand by the cave in the island of Ithaca, which Homer describes in the following verses? High at the head, a branching olive grows and crowns the pointed cliffs with shady boughs. A cavern, pleasant, though involved in night, beneath it lies the naiad naiad's delight, where bones of endurance of workmanship divine and massy beams in native marble shine, on which the nymphs amazing webs display pure hue and exquisite array, of purple hue and exquisite array. The busy bees within the urn secure, honey delicious and like nectar pure, perpetual waters through the grot of light, a lofty gate and falls on either side, that to the north is prepervious to me, by mankind, the sacred south Immortals is consigned. This is a fragment, I guess. Thank you. Some uh, poetry from Homer concerning the cave of the nymphs from the book Thomas Taylor, the Platonist. The trees around them all their fruit produce, lotus the name, divine nectarious juice, thence called lotophagy, which uh, whose taste is insatiate riots in the sweet repast, no other home nor uh, other care intends, but quits his house, his country, and his friends. The three, the three we send from off the unsanting ground, we dragged reluctant and by force we bound. The rest in haste forsook the pleasing shore. Oh, the charm tasted had returned no more. Uh, here we view Ulysses subject to different desires and blown about by contrary blast of fortune and, considera and considerately permitting the various affections of his soul to be engaged in improper enjoyments, who, after they have tasted the sensual pleasures and fraudulent manners refused to return ruling intellect and the natural good habits of the soul. This is the one of the inventors of Ulysses uh, in the, the uh, cost of the lot of Faye, where the lotus tree grows and the lotus fruit. Uh, now I'm going to read uh, another little poem. And uh, Homer appears invited by the following verses. This is, this is by approaching Ithaca, I suppose. Uh, um, nine prosperous days 
replied uh, to lumber to laboring laboring oars the tenth present our welcome native shore the hills display the beacon's friendly light and rising mountains gain upon our side then first my eyes by watchful toils oppressed by watchful toils oppressed complied to take the balmy gifts of rest. Then first my hands did from the rudder part, so much the love of home pressed my heart. And then later, the throngs and bound, the gushing tempest sweeps the ocean round, snatched in the whirl, the hurried navy flew, the ocean widened, and the shores with room. That's amazing. Gazing first at Ithaca, and then the tempest and the destruction of the uh, boat of her uh, on the ship. Which came to indicate that imperfect and yet and yet again it says um, after the yeah. after this succeeds the adventure of the last regons, which seems to indicate the yet imperfect condition of Ulysses' nature, unable to distinguish the cost of virtue from the infamous regions of vice. And then later we read again another poem. poet appears to me to insinuate by the following verses whistle those their furry rages at the bay my sword our cables cut i call to weigh and change my men and charged my men as they from fate would fly its nerve to strain its bending oar to ply the sailors Cuts the world, the oars they seize, and sweep with equal strokes the smoky seas. Clear of the rocks, Tempestian vessel flies, whistling in the port, its wreck encumbered dies. With earnest haste, my frightened sailors press, while uh, kindling transports glowed at our success. But the sad fate that did our friends destroy cooled every breast and damped the rising joy. Uh, then we have uh, uh, one related to the allegory of Kirki. Kirki, who transformed uh, the Ulysses' friends into pigs, uh, into swines. For those say he, Homer, Homer speaks, no more was seen the human form, divine head, face, and members bristle into swine. Still cursed uh, with sense, uh, their minds remain alone, and their own voice are fried them when they grow when they groan 
Yes, that will be for today. Thank you. Here, um, poetry from uh, Homer, Ulysses uh, in the Underworld. Phoxos, Ulysses speaks, curious to view the kings of ancient days, the mighty dead that live in endless praise, resolved I stand and happily had surveyed the godlike Thesis and Peritus said, but swarms of spectres rose from deepest hell with bloodless visas, and with hideous yell, they scream, they streak, shriek, sad groans and dismal sounds, stone my sacred ears and pierce hell's outmost bounds. No more my heart the dismal din sustains, and my cold blood hangs shriveling, shriveling shivering in my veins, uh, lest Gorgon rising from the infernal lakes uh, with horrors armed and curls of hissing snakes should fix me stiffened at the monstrous sight, uh, a stony image in eternal night. Indeed, by such a conduct, he becomes impious, profane, and execrable, till he returns to that condition of mind in which the judgment of reason and the light of intellect emerges through the gloom of impiety and folly, and prudent cogitations dance around the liberated soul. For in this case, it may be truly said, uh, here the game morn resides in radiant bowers, bowers, here keeps her revels with the dancing hours. Okay, that would be all. <laughs> Thank you. Here I like to read again from the, the book Thomas Taylor, The Platonist. Uh, uh, concerning the cave of the nymphs, uh, uh, I will read from uh, Ulysses how Ulysses speaks visiting Hades, uh, uh, the underworld. Yeah. Curious to view the kings of ancient days, the mighty dead that live in endless praise, resolved I stand and happily had surveyed the godlike. Thesefs and Perithus said, but swarms of spectres rose from deepest hell with bloodless visas and with hideous yell. They screamed, they shriek, sad groans and dismal sounds, stone my scared ears and pierced hell's outmost bounds. No more my heart the dismal din sustains, and my cold blood hung shivering in my, in my veins, lest Gorgon rising from the infernal lakes with horror armed and curls of hissing snakes should fix me stiffened uh, at her monstrous side, 
a što ni imaćine ternev najde. Then later, indeed, by such a conduct, he becomes impious, profane, and execrable, till he returns to that condition of mind in which the judgment of reason and the light of intellect emerges through the gloom of impiety and folly, and prudent cogitations dance round the liberated soul. For this, for in this case, it may be truly said, uh, here the game morn resides in radiant bowers, here keeps her revels with uh, the dancing hours. Uh, now I will write, uh, like to read something from uh, uh, Ulysses' uh, despair and regret uh, and uh, surrender in a way. In this region of fantasy then, Ulysses is represented as involuntary captive, continually employed in bewaiting his absence from his true country, and ardently longing to depart from the fascinating embraces of the goddess. For those, his situation is beautifully described by the poet. But sad Ulysses, by himself apart, put the big sorrows of his swelling heart all on the lonely shore he sat to weep, and rolled his eyes around the restless deep, towered his loved coast, he rolled his eyes in vain, till dimmed with rising grief they streamed again, and here again. I'm reading. His return, however, is at length affected, affected by means of Mercury, or reason, who prevails on the goddess to yield to his dismission. Hence, after her consent, Ulysses is said with great propriety to have placed himself on the throne where Mercury, Mercury had said, for reason now resumes her proper seat and begins to exercise her authority with undisturbed control. But Homer appears to me to insinuate something egregious when he represents Ulysses on his departure from Calypso, sailing by night and contemplating the order of light of the stars in the following beautiful lines. And now, rejoicing in the prosperous gales, with a beating heart, Ulysses spread his sails, placed at the helm he, he said, and marked the skies, nor closed in sleep his ever-watchful eyes. There viewed the ply, playa, pleiads, and the northern team, and great Orion's small refulgent beam, to which around the axle of the sky the bear revolving points the golden eye, who shines exalted on the ethereal plain, nor bathes his blazing forehead in the main. For on the left, those radiant fires to keep, the nymph directed as he sailed the deep. Full seventeen nights he cut the foamy way, the distant land appeared the following day. 
then swelled to side Thaesia's dusky coast, uh, and woody mountains half in vapor lost, uh, that lay before him indistinct and vast, uh, like a broad seal amid a weary waste. Indeed, as Ulysses in the, in the image of a man passing in a regular manner from a sensible life and advancing from darkness to light, he is very properly represented as sailing by the splendor of the stars and directing his course in the most conspicuous of these illustrious orbs. For starlight corresponds to the light of mathematical sciences, which are the proper employment of one who is departing from the sensible fantasy and her detaining charms, uh, and the stars themselves correspond to ideas, uh, from which the light of science is derived. Uh, Ulysses, therefore, who is hastening, hastening to the intellectual life, contemplates these lucid objects with vigilant eyes, rejoicing in the illuminations and assistance they afford him while sailing over the dark ocean of a material nature. Okay, that will be for now. Thank you. I'm going to read from... Uh, Thomas Taylor, the Platonist, continue concerning the cave of the nymphs. Uh, this is the description of the uh, palace of Alkinos, according to Ulysses. The front appeared with radiant splendors, gay, bright as the lamp of night or orb of day. The walls were massive brass, the cornice high, blue metals crowned in colors of the sky, rich plates of gold, the folding doors in case, the pillars silver on a brazen base, silver the lintels deep projecting ore, and gold the ringlets that command the door, two rows of stately dogs on either side, in sculptured gold and labored silver stand, this Vulcan-formed intelligent to wait, immortal guardians at Alkinus gate. Quite good. Now, the description of interior, the interior of the palace of Alkinus. Refulgent pedestals, the walls round, which voice of gold with flaming torches crowned, the polished ore reflecting every ray, blazed on the banquet with a double day. Well, um, uh, I'm gonna read uh, after the description of the palace of Alkinus. For this palace is not like the cavern of Calypso, naturally obscure, but remarkably bright and refulgent. Indeed, Homer, in his description of the outside of this, of this palace, sufficiently indicates its agreement with the planet Mercury, who is the god of speech, of cognition, meditation, as Plato beautifully observes in the Timetus. is nothing more than inward discourse, 
who according to astronomers, the planet Mercury is resplendent with the colors of all the other planets. Thus, Baptista Porta in Colest Physios, page 88, Bidebis in O Saturni Luridium, I'm sorry, I'm not going to read the Latin. Uh, Thus is, uh, you may perceive in this planet the pale color of Saturn, the fire of Mars, the whiteness of Jupiter, and the yellow of Venus. Likewise, the brilliancy and hilarity of each. Uh, and on this account, it is not of a peculiar form, but receives the form of its associates and by this means causes astrologers to differ in describing its color. But that the island of Phaesia is the region of cogitation is indisputably confirmed by Homer, Homer's account of the ships fabricated by its inhabitants. For those, he beautifully describes them. I'm going to try to read the ancient Greek here. Ophrase Pemptosi titis homene fresinis ucar fi kesi kibernites easin ude tipidali esti tale nison ehus nies ehusin alafte isasi noimata ke frenas andron ke pandon isasi polias et kepionas agurus anthropon ke laitma Tachis alos ekperosi, ieri ke nefeli ke kalimene ude potesfin, ute di pimasthine epideos uk apoleste. That ships intently directed by intellect may send you to your country, for the Phaeacians have no pilots nor have the ships uh, helms like others, but they know the thoughts and minds of men. They likewise know the cities and fertile fields of all men, and swiftly swim over the waters of the sea, covered with darkness and clouds, for they never are afraid of sustaining any damage or of being utterly lost. Uh, and the verse on the verse on or in the verse so shall thou instant reach the realm assigned, in wondrous ships self-moved, instinct with mind. No helm secures their course, no pilot guides, like men intelligent they plow the tides, conscious of every coast and every bay that lies beneath the sun's all-seeing ray and veiled in clouds impervious to the eyes, fearless and rapid through the deep they fly. Now it is absurd to suppose that Homer would ever employ such an hyperbole of merely describing the excellency of the Phaeacian ships, for it is so eminently surpasses the bounds of probability and is so contrary to the admirable prudence that which Homer continually displays, that is, can only be admitted as an allegory pregnant with latent meaning and the recondite wisdom of antiquity. 
Ik was hier gewoon bij opzet dat als de energies of cogitation are twofold according to the objects on which they are employed, of they are either sensible or intellectual. So the manners of Alcinus and his nobles are perfectly opposite to those of other inhabitants. Of this later are those described by the poet. Arrays of rocked mariners are these, and polished men and boisterous as they see. The native islanders alone their care, and hateful he that breathed a foreign air. This did uh, the ruler of the deep ordain to build proud navies and command the main on canvas wings to cut the weary way, no bird more light, no thought more swift than they. The last of which line so remarkably agrees with the preceding account that I presume no stronger confirmation can be desired, nor is the original less satisfactory. Tones, iki, osip, teron, The ships of this are swift as a wing or as a conception of the mind, but the inhabitants of the palace are represented as splendid, spending their days in continual festivity and uneasing mirth in listening to the harmony of the lyre or in forming the tuneful mazes of the joyful dance. And this distinction of manners admirably agrees with the difference between vulgar and intellectual cogitations, for the former of these are boisterous and rough, selfish and proud, skilled indeed in rapidity, but groveling and unpolished, but the later are constantly employed in intellectual festivity and mirth, in tuning the melodious lyre of divine recollection, or forming the responsive dance of refined imaginations. It was with the greatest reason, therefore, that Ulysses exclaimed on this occasion, how sweet uh, the products of a peaceful reign, the heaven-taught poet an unsenting strain, the well-filled palace, the perpetual feast, a land rejoicing and a people blessed, uh, how goodly seem it ever to employ men's social days in union and in joy. The plenteous board high heaped with cates divine, and o'er the foaming bowl the, the laughing wine. Very beautiful. And here we may observe how much the behavior of Ulysses at the palace of Alcinus confirms the preceding exposition and agrees with his character as a man passing in a regular manner from the delusions of sense to the realities of intellectual enjoyment. For as he is now seated in the palace of Conician Cogitation, it is highly proper that he should call to mind his past conduct and be afflicted with the survey 
and that he should be wakened to sorrow by the light of reminiscence and weep over the follies of his active life. Hence, when the divine bard Demodocus, inspired by the hurry of the muses, sings the wrath of Ulysses and Achilles on his golden lyre, Ulysses is vehemently affected with the relation fora. Taft at the song, Ulysses straight resigned to soft affliction all his manly mind. Before his eyes, the purple vest he drew, industrious to conceal the falling dew. But when the music paused, he ceased to shed the flowing tears and raise his drooping head. And when the inhabitants of the palace or refined cogitations transported with a song demanded its uh, repetition, again Ulysses veiled his pensive head, again and meant a sour of sorrow, said. For reminiscence is delightful to the former because purified from guilt, but afflictive to the latter because he has not yet arrived at the summit of virtue and acquired the perfection of contemplative good. But while Ulysses is at the palace of Alcinous, Homer takes occasion of introducing some admirable mythological arcana in the story of Mars and Venus, the explication of which from Proclus on Plato's Republic, page 388, will, I persuade myself, be acceptable to the Platonic reader and vindicate Homer for acting improperly by introducing this excellent fable. Both Vulcan and Mars, then, say Proclus, operate about the universal world, and Mars indeed separates perpetually nourishes and constantly excites the contrarieties of the universe, that the world may exist perfect and entire from all its parts, but Vulcan adorns the whole sensible machine of his artifice and fills it with certain reasons, proportions, and powers of nature. Hence, he is feigned by Homer to construct uh, twenty tripods about the heavens that he may adorn them with the most perfect of many-sided figures, and he is likewise said to fashion a multitude of sublunary forms variously figured and artificially adorned, as when he says, chains, bracelets, pendants, all their toys are wrought. Thank you.